While we all appreciate that cybercrime is an international issue that knows no borders, cybersecurity and how we fight cybercrime is a little different. The prosecution of cybercriminals plays a big role in deterrence, but because laws in all countries are not equal, hackers and cybercrime leaders have been able to exploit some of law enforcement's international shortcomings. Here, Claudio Popa, an InfoSec expert in Toronto, joins me today to discuss some of the unique legal advantages and challenges banking institutions have in Canada when it comes to fighting cybercrime. Hi, I'm Tracy Kitten with Information Security Media Group. Claudio, could you give our audience some background about what you think makes Canada is so unique from a legislative and legal perspective when it comes to cybercrime? Thank you for that question. Actually, it's, it's particularly salient in light of how things are changing globally. In Canada, we have seen particular challenges in the prosecution of organized crime. And the reason for that is because of the increasingly layered organizational structures that these often international groups have. And uh, it's nothing like what the public thinks is not as simple and uh, certainly not as juvenile as what we used to think hackers were, which was uh, basically a, a teenager in a basement somewhere in Australia. These are global organizations. They're using state-of-the-art techniques. They're using tools and computing power that exceeds uh, that of many, many businesses. And so when they organize themselves in these layered ways, the reasons they're doing it is to protect themselves. So the higher you go in the organization, the obviously the more accountability you have in a regular uh, business. So in a criminal organization, you would first catch the bottom feeders, the money mules, the guys who are doing the, the money swaps at the uh, bank machine. And in many, many cases, these guys, it's not that they don't want to cooperate. It's that they have no clue about what's going on. And yeah, maybe they should have thought twice about answering that ad on campus about that easy job. But the fact is, they really don't have that much visibility into the organization. Uh, that said, things are changing. And from a legislative perspective, Canadian law enforcement is learning a lot from uh, international groups and even innovating in uh, certain ways. So we are looking forward, and I'm personally excited to have a panel of excellent speakers with great pedigrees in the space, anything from anti-money laundering to um, to law enforcement. And so we're looking forward to some of the answers and some of the discussions we're going to have with these guys. Claudio, from my understanding, there's some new legislation impacting privacy and cybercrime that's expected to pass in Canada. Can you talk a little bit about this anticipated legislation and what makes it so noteworthy? Yes, it's one of the ways that Canada is leading uh, internationally. The um, PIPEDA, the Personal Information Protection and Electronic Documents Act, is a law that we've had in Canada for a long time, and it certainly applies and underlines the importance of fair information principles. Unfortunately, it has been singled out as, or at least described, as not having significant amounts of of pull or teeth. The government is trying to change that. And from a, a legislative and an enforcement perspective, what looks like is going to be added is huge penalties and, and fines, upwards of $100,000 per breach and maybe into the millions if combined with the new Canadian anti-spam law. But for my part, the, the, the important thing that should have been there from the beginning is breach notification. And in the States, it was pioneered in California with uh, SB 1386, where the law basically says that when 
you are suffering, where you've suffered a privacy or security breach, you are legally responsible for disclosing it, especially to the victims, but also you are financially uh, liable on a per lost record basis. And so that adds up to a lot of money, and so there's been a lot of pushback in Canada to avoid adding it to our legislation. Fortunately, things are going that way globally, so it makes sense for us to add that kind of thing here. And, and again, what this spells out is not so much that there are fines uh, that are being added, but that organizations are now responsible for being able to detect breaches. And in so doing, they are now forced legally to invest in technologies to monitor and to gain visibility into the threat element. So intrusion detection systems, intrusion prevention systems, anti-fraud systems, all sorts of technologies will now become commonplace or should in the operational aspects of organizations so that they are in fact able to detect breaches and be able to report them, which will be that massive legal pivot to that big change that we've seen have tremendous uh, benefits in other countries, namely uh, the United States. Claudio, you mentioned this earlier, that you'll be overseeing and participating in a panel discussion that will take place at Information Security Media Group's Fraud Summit Toronto next month. What are some of the key points that you expect to raise during that panel discussion? That's going to be a fascinating discussion. And part of it is that we're talking about the current and upcoming legislation. And, of course, all that with an eye towards uh, not just detecting, but prosecuting, successfully prosecuting cyber fraud, which has been a problem and an expensive one for many decades. And we're, of course, going to talk about the preparation that goes into some of these legislative changes, which we see coming for years and years ahead of time and the training that your workforce might require in anticipation of these things, and, of course, the global developments that have been taking place. But what's, what's exciting for me is that these panelists are going to be bringing their own individual perspectives to discuss how they innovate and how they collaborate in order to tackle some of these challenges. And these challenges are formidable. Uh, we're talking about issues that are so distributed and so elusive that you can't really address them without having top-down visibility, very, very big picture visibility, but also collaboration between law enforcement, between the private sector and the government. And we're looking to hear about not just anecdotal evidence, but we're looking to hear about the types of inroads that organizations and professionals are making in reaching out to other people who are in the same space. That's the exciting part for me. We, we want some of that from the trenches feedback, and we want to open up the floor to interesting comments from the audience, which is really what it's all about. So if the takeaways are, is there a protocol for reaching out and collaborating between organizations and between levels of government, then what kind of protocol is there and how can we develop it further so it benefits more people. Claudia, you make a good point about information sharing and collaboration. Of course, both have a big impact on cybersecurity, and we've been hearing more and more about information sharing and the need for more collaboration for several months now. How do you see information sharing having a, having a direct impact on fraud prevention within the financial space? 
Well, the financial space, the banking space, insurance, certainly um, tax and various other government departments that deal with financial data are dependent on the big picture view. They need to see what the trends are. They need to absolutely see where those risk maps and those heat maps are going to take them from a threat intelligence perspective. So it makes a lot of sense for these guys to be collaborating not just once in a while, but on a consistent basis. And so if we can innovate those systems that we put in place, if we can get some raw computing power to create interfaces and collaborative environments for them to be efficient and productive in what they do, then I think that's the kind of winning that we're talking about. We're looking at a future where it's becoming a lot easier for criminals to gain access to lots and lots of information. And the hard part for them is literally the human resources part of of operationalizing their criminal enterprise. And insofar as we can realistically create systems that give us insight into those operations, and insofar as we can see patterns in the types of chaos that we've seen until now, well, that will definitely... Uh, put more tools into the hands of prosecutors and law enforcement to successfully nab these guys and get them off the streets. And of course, over time, we're making our way up the ladder to the decision makers and to the powers that be. That really needs to be where it, it, it all starts. We need to claw our way back up the food chain to get access to the guys who are doing this on a global scale. What about from an international crime-fighting perspective, Claudeau? What lessons could the U.S. and even other parts of the world learn from Canada right now? What we can learn from European countries and even from the U.S. is that, in fact, we see a lot of the same structures and prosecution and layers of enforcement and so on. But in many cases, what I found through some of the research that we've been conducting at Informatica for the past couple of years is that geographic density makes a difference. It makes a a difference when you've got cities that are localized, but they are actually closer to one another than they are, let's say, in Canada. So in Canada, this tends to work against us. We've got pockets of knowledge, and it's, it's oftentimes difficult to learn to collaborate and to, to force ourselves to collaborate. But in European countries, and the way they reach out to, say, Asian peers and various other law enforcement professionals has been exemplary. And so we've seen that with Europol and with Interpol and so on. And in uh, in the U.S., they've got multiple layers of this with the FBI and, and certainly the various layers of uh, law enforcement above and below them. So we have a lot to learn from a, a collaborative perspective and from a process perspective and you know how do you reach out and how do you establish these data sharing agreements between organizations where you're still able to protect the privacy of most of those targets or most of those people on the list who ought not to be targets in the first place. From the perspective of other countries and other organizations, I think they have a lot to learn from the way that we lead with privacy rights, which, by the way, are a human right. And so in Canada, we do care about the way law enforcement does its job, but we also understand that they need to do their jobs in a respectable and in a responsible manner so as to protect human rights 
first, and especially the rights of, of people who have nothing to do with, with the situation. So if, in fact, you're going to be conducting wide surveillance so that you can narrow the scope of like, our anti-terrorism investigation, well, all of those individuals who should not be in scope, all of their privacy needs to be protected to the same degree that any other citizen's privacy and personal information are protected. There's a lot to learn from from us because we've always led with privacy. We've got tremendous numbers of privacy laws across the country at the federal level, at the municipal level, at the provincial level, and they all work together. They're all fundamentally based on fair information principles. And there's very little uh, to discuss around information security laws, which are the underlying component of of privacy, but other countries have led with security, like the US, for example, and that's worked very well for them. But uh, the argument is, of course, that there's a lot to learn from a collaborative way of doing things, and there's a lot to learn from process. And process, as long as it's uh, responsible and protects those human rights, like I said before, the whole industry stands to gain from it. I appreciate your time again. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. Again, we've just heard from Claudio Popa. CEO of security firm Informatica Security. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tracy Kitten.